0: Well, good morning, church. Good to see you all for another week. Glad you guys are here. If nothing else, it's cool in here, so I'm sure that's one more reason to be at church today with us. Uh, I know yesterday, my wife and I, we were just thinking, okay, we either stay inside or go somewhere cool, like the movies or, you know, somewhere where it's nice and um, uh, plenty of AC in there and things. Uh, So today we're going to be continuing in our series, uh, Empty Promises. If you weren't here with us last week, um, it's kind of like you're coming in 10 minutes late to the movie, so let me catch up on what you missed last week, okay? Uh, Last week we began the series just by talking about um, how all of us at some point in our lives start looking for satisfaction, fulfillment, uh, beauty, uh, love. We look for all these other things um, often in the things of this world, and how the longing of our heart is to find true satisfaction, true contentment, true uh, peace, and yet how the things of this world that we search after, they can easily become, as the Bible talks about, um, they can become idols to us, things that we chase after, thinking they're going to provide what only God can provide. And so last week, we talked about how um, oftentimes idols begin as good things it's something that in and of itself is not bad. But it becomes the ultimate thing, the most important thing to us. And often, as a result, there's damage that ensues, whether in our relationships with others, whether in our own lives. And if nothing else, ultimately, we're left just feeling kind of empty, feeling like there's got to be more to this at that point. And so, last week, you might remember that uh, I gave you two challenges. If you didn't remember it, this is kind of a reminder. Uh, But the one challenge I gave is to spend some time with this card that you got on your way out. It had five questions on it, just to get you thinking about where might there be an idol in my life. Um, And that was really the challenge, to spend some time praying, asking God, God, search me and know me. Help me to see myself as I really am. And we gave you some of these questions to help you think about that. The other thing that we uh, talked about is we uh, challenge you to invite other people into your life to be part of this journey of discovering, you know, where is it that I'm trusting in empty promises? Um, And last week was uh, great to see. We had, um, uh, between last week and then kind of the week before combined, we had uh, almost 100 people take that step to join a group or to start a group, which is just awesome when you think about, uh, we have about 300 other people in groups. So all in all, I mean, we have about 400 people that are going to be going through this study, uh, which I'm just elated about and excited about. Um, And uh, I want to just kind of encourage you, if you maybe were waiting and didn't sign up and thought, you know, I don't know if I want to do this. um, I came across this last week, something uh, one of our small group members said. And um, last year, their small group leader uh, began a group, and they just decided, you know, we're going to, Give it a try for these six weeks and see how it goes. And I was kind of surprised who it was, um, but I love that he was willing to uh, let me share this. And you might remember Ron and Nancy Anderson, they're uh, the couple that leads our James Project ministry, just a, an awesome couple. But Ron mentioned this to his group, and I, I wanted to share it with you as an encouragement. He said, I must confess that I was a fence sitter when it came to joining a small group. This may surprise some of you. It is only from the love and support that you receive from a small group such as ours that I am able to stand up and state without shame or fear of rejection. All fence sitters need to unite and together join a small group. It's one of the best things I've done in my life. Of course, the top of the chart was marrying Nancy. And I just love love that he said that to his group and was willing to share that because maybe you're in that same place. You're kind of sitting on the fence, you know, not sure. Uh, Let me just put one fear kind of to rest, this isn't a life sentence. Okay, all we're saying is give a group a shot for six weeks, um, see how it goes, just as you go through this study, and then if it doesn't work at that point, if the people are really weird, you know, you have my permission, okay, uh, step out of the group, you know, don't continue on after that as well. But I think, I think what you'll find is you're going to join it, you're going to enjoy those new friendships, those new relationships, and maybe even learn a few things about yourself and about others as you go through this. So just want to encourage you to do that, This is kind of the last week to jump in a group, and... Um, Uh, all the details that's in your program, so I don't want to get into that. But that brings us to today. Today we're going to be talking about achievement, success, uh, seeking out um, accolades, accomplishments, all of those things. So think for a second in your mind about what are the most, uh, I guess the things you're proudest about. You know, what would those accomplishments, those successes be that come to your mind as you just think about that, the things that just stand out more than anything, I know I uh, spent some time this week um, looking to kind of see what I what I had in my um, garage of all places, but uh, but but was just thinking, you know, what are the things that represent some of the accomplishments I've had? And I thought about sharing these for you because maybe you can identify with some of these in your own life as well, some of the accomplishments that you've had over the years. So I thought way back to a elementary school, and I found um, this certificate of participation. You know, maybe you remember this. You showed up for something, so they gave you a certificate, right? Uh, kind of an accomplishment, but later I found um, another academic accomplishment. It was from a uh, science fair, like in junior high, and I thought, oh, that's pretty cool, you know, an academic accomplishment that I had. Um, I was looking to see if I could find my junior high yearbook. Uh, I couldn't find it, but, but in eighth grade, I, I kind of had my claim to fame, you could say, uh, one of the accomplishments was uh, eighth grade, uh, we voted, you know, on kind of who's the best at this, the most of that, and uh, somehow, they voted me most gorgeous guy. Maybe <laughs> you can see why with that beautiful photo. Some of you, when, I, when you see that, I know what you're going to think about. You're going to think, he could be one of those backup singers in Hanson, back from the 90s, okay? <laughs> Definitely could be. All right, I better take that off so I don't distract you. Uh But I kept thinking, you know, what are the other accomplishments, other achievements? I thought about a physical achievement from sports. I did soccer. Uh, So I found this trophy from when I was on the JV boys team. Uh, I was kind of the MVP that particular year. Um, I continued forward and thought, you know, what are the other academic achievements? And uh, I thought about graduating from college. I went to Biola, so I graduated from there and continued on afterwards and got my master's. And those are things I'm I'm proud of, uh, things that are important to me. And then uh, there's a couple other things that that came to mind. The one was an accomplishment at my first job. Uh, I worked there for six years. They gave me this plaque, you know, at the end. And, you know, it's just a plaque, but it's kind of cool. Your first job, you know, they're just saying, hey, we appreciate you for these six years that you served in high school and college and even the first few years I was here on staff. And then the last two things I I came across that I was definitely proud of. The first is uh, this mug your know, world's best boss. I don't know if any of you have gotten that same thing. Um, I got to be honest, though. I made this for myself yesterday, so I didn't actually get it. But, you know, there's workplace accomplishments, aren't there, that we have? Things that we think are important. And then the last thing I came across was this uh, golden pin. Few of you know what this is, but this is a pretty big deal. This is uh, the first place at the first annual Olive Branch staff bowling tournament, and our team won that. So that's something I'm definitely proud about, uh, even though I think our team probably only won because Greg bowled like a 250 or some crazy score that day. But you think of your life. You know, I mentioned some of these just as kind of a, a fun way to think back, but in your life, you can probably think of academic accomplishments. You can think of accomplishments at work, you know, maybe that promotion you got or that title that you have now because of all the hard work that you've done. Maybe you think about physical accomplishments, like you've finished a, a triathlon or a marathon, something that was a, a big accomplishment in itself. Maybe it's none of those things that you think about, though. And it's uh, something that's most important to you that you are most proud about would be maybe what's taken place at home, something your kids have done, something you've done as the mom uh, of your family, or as the uh, wife uh, to your husband. But all of us have achievements, all of us have accomplishments, and in and of themselves, like we've said last week, they're not bad things, there's nothing wrong with them, but the danger arises when we begin to allow accomplishments and achievements and that quest for success, quest for more, to become the ultimate thing in our life, to become that idol or that empty promise that we chase after. And so maybe this morning um, you're not sure, you know, is achievement something that I struggle with? Is that maybe an idol in my life? And so I want to just begin our time with four, uh, four ways you can know, four things you can look for in your life that will begin to reveal to you if maybe it is. So the first is this. Achievement might be an idol if you pursue achievements regardless of how it affects those near you. Achievement addicts, sometimes they're ruthless, sometimes they're just insensitive. Um, they'll say things like, it's just business It's nothing personal. Um, And really what they're getting at is, you know, I want to succeed. I want to get ahead. I want to be the person who receives all the accolades, I guess, all the attention from this, regardless of the people around me. Sometimes this is the type of person where they take all the credit for something. It may have been a team that accomplished this, maybe someone who worked below them, but they just receive all the credit as their own. But if something goes wrong, they're the first to blame others. The first to say, no, it wasn't my fault. It was so-and-so who didn't do their job. A few questions just to ask yourself um, if this is you. Are long hours or other work issues a consistent source of conflict in your marriage or in your other relationships? Do you cancel or not attend dinner, church, or a personal gathering at least once a month because you have to work? Or do you ever find yourself excusing your behavior? as it's just doing business or it's nothing personal. So if any of those are true, maybe you struggle with the idol of achievement. Second thing, do you struggle with comparing yourself and your achievements with others? Do you often find yourself comparing yourself with others? If you struggle with achievement, oftentimes jealousy and resentment, those are two things that come with it. Because we're comparing how do we measure up to the people around us? Are we better than them? Uh, Have we accomplished more than them? You might say things out loud or in your mind, like, why did she get that assignment, but I didn't? Why did he get that raise or that promotion, but I didn't? I work harder than him, I've been here longer than him, I know more than he does, and yet why did he get it and I didn't get it? And you just find that you're comparing yourself, that you're looking at others and thinking, you know, I can achieve more, I can do more than they can. I'm better than they are in some way. Third thing, Is uh, do you try to control the opinion and approval of others by your performance? And really, what this is about is, is do you ever find you're trying to prove yourself to other people? Do you ever feel like you're trying to just show them that you really are uh, kind of something, I guess you could say? Have you noticed yourself maybe bragging about, you know, how hard you work or how many hours you work? Or do you feel good when someone comes up to you and says, I know you're busy, but... And then they give their request. Does that kind of build you up, make you feel good? Because you think, if I just work harder, they're going to think, man, that guy works harder than anybody I know. Um, And it just builds you up because you're getting your worth and your significance externally from what other people think about you. Some of you, I know, it, it might take this shape. Do you ever find that you're out in public and maybe your kids, they're not behaving And um, really, it's not about how they're behaving as much as it is what other people think of me as a parent. Um, And maybe you you think, you know, and maybe you've said this, this isn't normally what they do, okay? This is kind of an anomaly right now. And really, why do you say that? Because you're saying, I'm a really good parent. These kids are not showing it right now, but I really am a good parent. You really should think I'm doing a good job, even though they're misbehaving right now. And it's really because we want other people to to, uh, give us that approval. And and really this last, uh, or this third one is more about being recognized by others than it is about just achieving something. It's the recognition of the accomplishment, not the actual accomplishment. And next week, uh, we're going to talk more about this whole idea of approval, wanting the approval of others. But really, uh, uh, this is one of those areas that overlaps with achievement and with seeking the approval of others is this area of trying to control the opinion of others by my performance, by what I do. The last thing is this. Do you confuse who you are with what you do? I think this is often the biggest sign that achievement is an idol or something that you struggle with, that you uh, find your measure in what you can do, in your performance. Um, And you equate those two ideas. Who I am is what I do. That those two things are one and the same. So do you ever find yourself thinking... If you make a mistake, that you're a failure. If you're criticized for your job performance, that you take it personally. I mean, if you lost your job tomorrow, would you feel like you lost your identity? I came across um, uh, this tennis player, Chris Evert, And in the 70s and 80s, she was a a big tennis star. Um, One of the best, I think, in um, singles history at that point. Had one of the best win-loss records. I mean, really was at the top of her game. And as she was thinking about retirement, thinking about what's next, I found it interesting what she said, and I put this on screen for you. She said, I had no idea who I was or what I could be away from tennis. I was depressed and afraid because so much of my life had been defined by my being a tennis champion. I was completely lost. Winning made me feel like I was somebody. It made me feel pretty. It was like being hooked on a drug. I needed the wins, the applause in order to have an identity. I just thought, you know, how true that is. Uh, Often what I've seen is for men, it's often our jobs that we find our identity, our worth, our value from. Uh, Sometimes for women it is, but what I've seen probably more often for women is it's not their job uh, at the workplace, but it's their role as a wife or as a mom. And, And maybe you found yourself thinking something like, you know, I'm a bad wife or I'm a bad mom because I did this or I didn't do this. I mean, you just feel like, you know, man, I'm, I'm just failing at what I'm doing, and it's uh, only a short short road before you start thinking, I'm a failure, as a result of that as well. I know for me, um, there was a time in my life, probably six, seven years ago, I was the youth pastor uh, here at the church at the time, and um, being the youth pastor is one of the most exciting things, and one of the most difficult, discouraging things, too. Um, it's really a challenge to, 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 to do it. And uh, when I was doing it during this particular season, it was really more of a challenge for me. You have to juggle so many different things, you know, with students, with parents, with leaders. There's all these different kind of competing demands that, that go for your time. And I just remember in this particular season um, being really discouraged, you know, feeling like things weren't turning out like I thought they should. You know, the youth group didn't look like I envisioned a successful youth group to look. And I just began to find myself thinking, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm really failing at what I'm doing, failing at this job. And it wasn't too much longer before I began to find myself thinking, you know, I'm failing at this, which means I'm a failure. And really to equate those two, you know, that what I do is who I am. And it took me a while to come to the place to realize, no, those are, those are two different things. Um, and one of the guys on our small group team, he said, you know, failure's what you do, it's not who you are. I thought, you know, that's a great way to, to picture it and to think about it, but yet, it's easier to say that than it is to really believe it sometimes when you're in that discouraging place, feeling like you're failing at your job or failing at your role at home. So achievement something, I mean, I would be the first to say, this is a struggle for me. There's an area in my life where I would say, yeah, that can be an idol in my life. And again, it, it began probably for me as something good. My parents work really hard, and I think that work ethic got instilled in me. And yet it's easy for that good thing to become the ultimate thing to me sometimes, to really seek out achievement and success um, and looking good to other people more than anything else. You know, if you ask yourself, why? Why do I do this? Um, You probably would get all different answers. I mean, if we went through this room. I mean, it might be because of the excitement of it, because you feel like if I'm achieving, if I'm accomplishing a lot, I feel like someone. I feel like I'm important. Um, I feel like it, it just... Gives me that exhilarating adrenaline field um, just feeling when I'm just doing a lot. When I'm closing that sales deal, I just feel like, man, I can do anything at this point. And yet, if we're going to be chasing achievement, we need to realize that it's kind of like being on a treadmill. You know, when you're on a treadmill, you don't get anywhere. You know, you can be putting a treadmill, uh, you know, in the middle of this room, and if you want to ever get to the back door, you're never going to get there. You can run as hard as you want, as fast as you want. You're just gonna stay on that treadmill, going, 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 going. That's kind of like what it is when achievement becomes the most important thing. We keep chasing it, we keep chasing it, and yet we never get to that destination that we want. It never satisfies us. King Solomon, you think of him from the Old Testament. He was one of the most uh, well-known kings, one of the most successful kings, if you wanna put it that way. A man who accomplished tons and tons of stuff. I mean, built lots of things, accumulated huge amounts of wealth. I read in one place um, where they said, you know, in a given year, kind of at the peak of his reign, he was probably collecting over a billion dollars if you were to convert it to money today. Um, I mean, it's astounding to think about this man and all that he did. And yet, I want you to notice what he said in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. And a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon uses this whole idea of of under the sun to really encompass a life lived apart from God is really the term he kinda uses. And so what he's saying is, apart from there being a God, from God existing, from you living for him, anything you accomplish, anything you do, it's really a waste. It's really gonna gonna leave you empty at some point and unsatisfied. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I think our culture at certain times realizes the same thing. That success, that achievements, they only get you so far and that you get there and then you want more. And I I came across this quote uh, that I thought described it well. It says, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended And it probably never will. And it was interesting when I read this because it was Madonna who said these words. And you think about, you know, she's kind of hitting the end of her career more so now, but you think about all that she's accomplished, all the records she's sold, all the fame that she accumulated. And yet she was just saying, too, you know, this seems like I never get there, I never arrive. I always want more, I'm never satisfied. There's no finish line. So how do you get off that treadmill of achievement? How do you begin to escape those empty promises? I want to talk about three things this morning you can begin to do. And the first thing is this. Uh, Start to examine your motivation. We talked about this last week. We talked about how asking that simple question of why. Why am I seeking this out? Why do I really want this promotion? Why do I really want to um, do this particular thing? I mean, really ask yourself why. You might think, uh, even as a parent, you know, why am I pushing my kids to be involved in that sport or to to do this at school? Is it really about them being the best at who they are, at who God's gifting them to be, or is it really more about me wanting to feel like my kid is accomplishing a lot and what does that say about me as a parent? You know, how does that uh, kind of fill me up instead? And so really asking, you know, why? Why is it that, that you're seeking after achievement? In the book of Colossians, notice what it says. And whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What Paul's really saying is our motivation in all that we do should be to represent Christ, to show him off, that it shouldn't just be about us, about us getting the focus or the accolades or feeling good about ourselves or building up our ego, that it's not about that. That really, if we get achievements, if we get success... And it's just about us. It's never going to satisfy. And so we need to shift the focus, shift the motivation. Instead of being about us, make it more about Christ. Second thing is stop defining your significance by your position. We talked earlier about that, that simple lie we can believe that what we are is what we do. That the title on your door or that title on your business card, that that defines who you are as a person. That that means you're more important if you're the CEO or the president than if you're the intern or the janitor. That somehow the position that you have in life or at your job or the significance that you may think about what you do, that that defines who you are. And yet that's that's definitely not true. And so we need to stop deriving our worth from our position. Paul said this: "For I am the least of the apostles." unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. I mean, you think about what Paul has accomplished. You Think about all the churches he started. You think about his influence and the spread of Christianity. And yet, he really just feels like, I'm the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church of God. I, I killed people who were Christians before I came to know Christ. And notice what he says just after this in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. We I mean, notice that, that statement. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul didn't seek to claim credit for all that he's accomplished, all that he's done. He said, I'm the, the only reason I'm an apostle, that I'm in this position, is because the grace of God. Because God gave it to me. And really, what he's saying is, all that we are, all that we accomplish, all that we do, is an act of God's grace and God's goodness to us. That any gifting that you have, any opportunities that come your way, that ultimately it's God who provides that. That it's it's not about what we've uh, done or about what we've accomplished. But Paul's saying God's given it to you. It's an act of His grace. Um, and yet, I find it interesting um, in the middle here, right after he says. Uh, I am what I am by the grace of God. He said, his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. And when you read that, you think, okay, so is he feeling like I have to work hard because of God's grace? Because God has done this for me, i got to respond and work hard. Now he clarifies this, because notice what he says next. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And really what he was saying is he's not trying to prove himself um, now that he has this title of apostle and he's, been, uh, he's received God's grace, but really how the grace of God, that that's what's at work within his life, that the effect of God's grace is him wanting to work harder, to, to love God in a greater way, to love his people in a greater way. And that it was really God who was working in Paul and through Paul to bless the church, to write these letters, to do so much, um, uh, do so much at that point in time. So think about that, that idea. I am what I am because of the grace of God. Think about what position that you're in right now. I mean, whether it's a lowly one and you think, you know, what I'm doing doesn't matter. Or you feel like, man, I'm the boss. I'm calling all the shots. What I'm doing is very significant. Uh, wh- whatever position you find yourself in, don't get caught up in that. Don't allow it to somehow be the place you get your significance or your worth from. Earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul said this. He said, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You think about those words that God chose to do this. God chose to to use kind of the lowly things of this world and to kind of flip it on its head. You think about so many stories in the Old Testament and New where God used somebody who the world said was insignificant, That shouldn't have amounted to much. And yet they accomplished uh, great things for God. I think about a young shepherd boy, the youngest of eight sons. And in that day and age, people would have thought, he's not going to amount to anything. He's just going to be a shepherd, you know, tend the sheep, and that's about it. You know, it's a pretty menial task that he did. And yet that young boy, God would choose to become the king of Israel to become one of the great kings that just accomplished amazing things, a man that we know as David today. Uh, But yet his beginning was very simple. It was a very lowly position. You think about Rahab. She was a prostitute, a foreigner, and yet God chose to use her as she rescued two of the Israelite spies, as she ended up being part of the line of Christ, part of his ancestors as well. That God chose someone like that, that Everyone else would have written off. No one would have thought that they would have done anything significant for God. And yet God chose to use them. And the point is not that you may may end up in a prominent position. You may do something significant. But really the call is whatever position we find ourselves in, to work hard. And to trust that God will reward you. It's really what Paul talks about in Colossians when he says this. Whatever you do, work heartily. as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Let that sink sink in for a minute. Paul says, work hard. And notice what he says the reason is for that at the very beginning. He says, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. He's saying, work hard not because you work at a great place or your job may feel like it's significant, like you're changing the world. He says, work hard because you're working for God, that ultimately you're serving him. He goes further, though, and he gives another reason why you should work hard, why you should work diligently at the end there. Notice what he says, knowing that the Lord, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. He's really getting at the fact that even if your boss doesn't see the work you're doing, the diligence that you're putting in, you know, the good work that you're doing, even if the people you work with don't notice that, even if no one sees that, trust Christ is going to see that, that he's going to reward you for it, that he sees that work that you're doing. That that's part of the motivation. We work hard in any position that God puts us in because we're doing it for him and we're doing it because he will see it. He will recognize it. And so, so think about that. Whatever position you find yourself in, work hard at it. If you would say, you know, this doesn't matter what I'm doing, it doesn't matter. Work hard at it. Be diligent at it. It doesn't define who you are. It doesn't say what you're worth. It doesn't say... Any, any of those things. And so you can work hard because you're doing this for God. You're not doing it for the paycheck or for that boss that you have. In addition to that, we need to start defining ourselves, not by what we've done, but by what God did for you and for me. If you think about it, the idol of achievement, it wants us to keep trying to earn our worth, to prove our significance, to find our identity in what we do. It wants us to do all of those things and yet... If we pursue that, we're never going to be satisfied. In Romans 5, Paul puts it this way. For while we were still weak, or in other words, while we couldn't do anything about it, while we were unable to do it ourselves, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We I mean, notice what Paul's saying here in this passage. God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That even while we were far from God, even while we were earning God's wrath, we were earning God's judgment, while we were still sinners, as he says in that passage, that Christ came to die for you and for me. God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And as you think about the cross, you think about what Jesus accomplished there for us. You think about how it brought our forgiveness, our acceptance before God, how it brought our adoption into being children of God, into being part of his family, how we became heirs with Christ, how we have an inheritance in heaven that we're going to be with him forever. All of that was because of what Christ did, not because of what I did, not because of what you did, because of what he did instead. He accomplished all that apart from us. And so when you think about the cross, allow that to define your worth. You think about the cross, you think about what Christ did for you and for me, and it should remind you of your immense worth to God. Because again, you didn't do anything. The only response we can have is to receive that gift, to receive that free gift that Christ gave to us. In the book of John, talking about Jesus, um, notice what it says says he as Jesus came to his own people and even they rejected him but to all who believed him and accepted him or a lot of translations instead of accepted him say received him that same idea he gave the right to become children of god they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan or again notice that not because of what people have done but instead a birth that comes from god Notice that again, that all we do is believe and receive God's gift. All we do is believe what Christ has done on the cross matters, that it is is significant and applied to us as well. As I thought about this whole idea, what really came to mind is when I find my worth from what happened on the cross, from what Christ has done, achievements don't really matter much anymore. You know, no longer does my title really matter. No longer does it really matter if I feel like what I'm doing is significant or insignificant. Um, None of that really matters anymore. Uh, Really, it gives us kind of a new perspective on what's most important, what's most valuable. And, And the perspective it should bring us to, the more we understand what Christ has done for us, is that knowing Christ becomes the most important thing in our lives. Achieving this, getting that promotion, getting that raise at work, are kids succeeding doing this or doing that? None of that really matters all that much in the scheme of things. When we realize what Christ has done for us, and now what's most valuable is getting to know him. Philippians 3, Paul says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Notice what Paul's saying here. Whatever I used to think was valuable, whatever I used to put stock in, all of that compared to knowing Christ is trash or rubbish. As it says here, It's, it's worthless. That in the grand scheme of things, my perspective on what matters most has changed because I've realized all that Christ has done for me it's, it's moved me in a huge way. And so now what's most valuable is getting to know this Christ who came and who died for me. And I don't want you to miss something in here. If you notice it, I think it's on the first part of the of verse here. Um, notice the very end of this here. Paul isn't just talking about knowing Christ in kind of a, a mental, you know, kind of acquaintance time, type of way. Like, you know Jesus died for everybody, you know, like this kind of broad, general knowledge out here. It's very personal for Paul. Notice how he describes knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I mean, he could have said this very differently if he wanted to. And yet he chose to say, Christ Jesus, my Lord. And in, in this passage, when it continues forward, it becomes even more evident that Paul's making a statement about knowing Christ personally. That it's, that it's the kind of personal relationship a son has with their mother or their father, the type of personal relationship a wife has with their husband. It's somebody that you know. You know them, you know, completely. You know tons about them. It's not just a knowledge of someone, but it's a relationship with someone as well. That, that's really what Paul is getting at, is it's knowing Christ in that personal kind of way, not just at a, a knowledge kind of level as well. In Galatians 2.20, Paul uh, kind of is even more explicit in this. As he says, Jesus came and he loved me and died for me. That for Paul, what he did was really a response to God's grace. That uh, his lifelong ambition, you know, was to know Christ and as a result to love God by loving his people. That ultimately that's all that mattered to Paul at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry as an apostle. And yet sometimes, and this was something that was convicting to me, sometimes the reason why we don't value knowing Christ is because we don't uh, grasp the depth of what he's really done for us. You know, we grasp it at kind of a 30,000 foot level, but we don't realize that Christ came to pay the punishment for my sin, that he suffered and he died because he loved me. That obviously he loved more than just me, but oftentimes we can get caught up in talking about all of us, talking about kind of the people of God and forget that there's that personal side to it that we have to internalize and that we have to come to grips with. And so now as we look at our achievements, we look at our successes, hopefully as we approach those, we can have a little bit of peace. A little bit of peace and freedom because we realize our worth, our significance is not on the line. Whether or not you get that raise, whether or not you get that promotion, whether or not your kids succeed and do something you want them to succeed in doing, it doesn't say anything about you as a parent, your worth, your significance there, that ultimately none of that, I guess, kind of matters that much in the end. I wanna wanna give you a question to think about this week. And the question is is simply this: if you put the same effort into knowing Christ that you put into your job and your accomplishments. How would things change in your life? So if you put the same effort, same effort that you put into doing your best at work or into achieving whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, if you put that same effort into knowing Christ, how would it change things? I mean, some of you, I know you work incredibly long hours at work. I mean, you just work super hard. And yet, do you take that same effort and apply it to knowing Christ? Some of you... You train for hours and hours every week, getting ready for that marathon or that triathlon or that thing you're physically trying to accomplish and compete in. And yet, do you apply that same kind of time and effort into getting to know Christ, into realizing all that he's accomplished, all that he's done for you? So I want you to just think about that question this week. If you put that same kind of effort into knowing Christ that you put into your job and your accomplishments, how would it change things in your life? As we close, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I know as I've talked this morning, uh, for some of you, you'd say that you're a follower of Christ, but the Mm. idol of achievement is something that you honestly struggle with, something that you've made the most important thing in your life. And so if if maybe that's where you're at, you realize, you know, achievement's something that I struggle with. I try and find my worth from that. If you're tired of that, I, I want you to just do one thing, to just admit that that's where you are. And all I want you to do with every eye closed and head bowed is just to raise your hand. Just as a sign to God to say, God, I'm tired of trying to to earn my approval or my worth from what I do, from my performance. And so if if that's you and, and you're a follower of Christ, but you would say, you know, this is a struggle for me. Something that I have a difficult time doing is finding my worth in what Christ has done. I just want you to raise your hand just for a moment, just as a sign between you and God. And put your hand down. For others, I know as you're here, you would say you might believe in God, but you're not really following after him. And really, if you were honest, you're trying to earn your way into heaven by what you do and by what you don't do thinking that if I just do the right things, if I come to church or if I uh, give money to this person or to that charity, that somehow God's gonna think, good job, you're in, you're forgiven. And yet, as I said today, nothing we can do will ever be enough to earn our way in, to earn God's grace and love. And so if that's where you are, I just wanna lead you in a, a simple prayer to just receive God's free gift that he's given us. So would you join me, God? I just admit that oftentimes I try and do things on my own. That I I feel like if I do the right things that I can earn your love or your forgiveness or your acceptance. And yet, your word reminds us that all I can do is receive that free gift that you've offered. And so God, I want to receive that. I want to find that peace, that satisfaction that only you can bring. And God, would you just meet each person where they're at as they pray that? And God, for others here who admitted, you know, God, I, I follow you, but I struggle with keeping you first and not allowing achievement to be something that becomes the most important thing to me. God, would you meet them where they're at? and Would you help them to realize the truth of what Jesus said? come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. God, would you help us to apply those words to our lives? Father, we're grateful for our time here, for the truths from your word. We pray these things in your name, amen.